The following teaching is brought to you by Cross Point Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Thank you, Grant. Yeah. So just for a second here, our photographer is going to come up on stage and we're going to get some pictures and look like you're really enjoying this. No. Full house. He's going to come up behind me and get a few pictures. This is all security team. You can rest easy. No one's attacking me on the stage here. Uh, just get some pictures as we do this. I wonder today, how many of you here in the house are, are the firstborns in your family? You're the firstborn, compliant, tightly wound. We know who you are. How many of, how many of you are the spoiled, rotten little brat kids of the youngest in the family? Yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> yeah. And then how many of you are the ones that are just in the middle? The forgotten middle children? Yeah, we know who you are too. Hey, this story today tells the story of some prodigal sons. And as the story starts, the grant just read for us, this is a story that's well known in popular culture. Uh, There's all kinds of songs and movies and books written with this theme. It comes from right here. But I want you to climb inside the story today because how the people hearing that story in the first century with Jesus would have heard it is very different than what, what, what we have grown to expect in the story. You'll see there on that note sheet on the back of your program here, it's about prodigal sons and a reckless father. Because the most scandalous person in the story is not the jerk son who left home and not the jerk son who doesn't want his old, younger brother home. People will be going, what kind of ridiculous father is that? Yeah. I must have missed something. He says, the only thing, the younger son says, the only thing I love about you, dad, is what you can do for me. In fact, you know, he's the spoiled rotten kid. Because those of you that are younger in the family, let me tell you something about your life. Uh, When the parents were first getting life together and sacrificing, they didn't have any money. And they were going to raise their children right. And so there was discipline and control and all that kind of stuff. And they practiced on us, um, on the oldest ones. And then they made some money and they recognized, you know, it's just we're old and we're tired and we're worn out. By the time you get to the youngest one, the the youngest one's kind of spoiled rotten. They just kind of get what they want all the time. They just do. And shut up because it's true. Um, (laughs) I, I I, I have issues today being the oldest one, the tightly wound compliant one. Yeah. I'm in this story too. I'm the... I'm the villain in the story, so I'd just get, we'll wait to get to me in this story. Uh, he says, Dad, back in that culture, you only got your inheritance when Dad was dead. What he basically says to his dad is, I wish you were dead. But since I can't kill you without going to prison, just I wish you're dead to me. You're no good to me other than just your stuff. Give me your stuff. And this has been a, a, a deal where uh, he had a, this was a, a, a very well-off family. The father who had an estate. And imagine how many you watch Yellowstone? A few of you. Yeah, we'll pray for you because I know that story. I've seen some of it. But uh, again, imagine that. We're going to make that be our context of the prodigal son story day to give it some real context. It's a Western story. It takes place in a big, massive, massive ranch in Yellowstone. Fabulously wealthy uh, family that's seriously jacked up. But uh, anyway, if I'd have gone to my dad when I was at some age and said, Dad, I want your stuff. I'm just done with you. You know what would happen to me? My dad wouldn't have whooped me. My mom would have. <laughs> I'd have got whooped. I'd have got spanked for that. And some of you are going, well, I don't think I like that. 
I never got spanked as a child. Trust me, pal, we know. <laughs> we know you never got <laughs> But in that culture, uh, uh, a child comes to his father, to John Dutton, and says, Dad, give me, my, give me this stuff. You're dead to me. I want your stuff. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. That's Jamie. That's the youngest son in there. You know what John Dutton would have done to him? There's John up there. There's John. Look at that guy. Like, you just go, what's he going to do? He's got all this wealth and power. He wouldn't have done anything. You know what he'd have done? He'd have got this guy to take care of it. That's Rip. That's Rip. And no, no, the who, the, you know the scariest person on the whole show is? Beth. That girl, I want to hire her here sometime, man. That girl can take care of some business. And she would have taken care of, they would have taken him outside there and beat that, beat the snot out of that kid for that kind of stuff. But instead, what the father does here, what they would go, what, you gave it to him? The thing you need to know about your God today is that your God will not compel you to love him. In fact, love cannot be compelled or obligated, can it? If it's just obligatory and just because you're supposed to or because to earn the money, God's not going to do that. He says, if you don't want me, you don't have to have me. He says, I will give you sometimes exactly what you want. One of the signs of God's judgment on you from time to time will not be thunderbolts and lightning and consequences for your sin. Uh, Romans is going to tell us. Paul's going to tell us in the book of Romans. But God shows his anger from heaven uh, by giving people what they want. So sometimes that God's going to do to show you the emptiness of a life without him is go, you don't want me and you just want my stuff. You want all my stuff and you don't want me. You can have all my stuff. You don't have me. Let's see how that works for you. And he'll, he'll, he'll let us go through it to expose the emptiness of a life without a father, of a life without God in it, enjoying all the blessings of God, enjoying all the pleasures and the beauty and the amazing of it all. And it tells us that he leaves and he goes off and he wastes his money in wild living. Hallelujah, man. That's, some of you go, I got the t-shirt for that. I wasted some time and money and energy in some wild kind of living, man. Because write this down today. It's not on the screen, but just write it down. The experience of sin is fun. The experience of sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Parents, it's a good thing for you to tell your kids. Sometimes we have kids, especially the younger kids, like, oh my gosh, the world, it's all jacked up, it's all messed up. So we try to sk- literally scare the hell out of our children by telling them how terrible drugs is and alcohol is and how terrible rebellion is and how terrible sex and all, that, all, all this stuff. It's all terrible and awful and evil. And then they go do it and try it and they go, what are you talking about? This is fun. The experience of sin is fun. The wages of sin is death. The payment, when that check comes, it is never worth it. But man, the initial experience of it is amazing. And he experiences that. He's beautiful. It's amazing and fantastic. And then he ran out. All of his friends leave him and he's alone. He begins to starve and he goes to work amongst the pigs. Now for you and I to hear that because of Disney movies and because of bacon, we think pigs are awesome and cute and amazing and delicious. Um, speaking of which, our kids men theme this, this month is that this, I beg a farm and ranch. You should see what they've done back there. Go wander through there sometime today. And over here in the backyard, I think it's, over here somewhere. They have chickens and turtles and pi- a pig out there. So you might want to go check that out. And they're not going to cook it or do anything with it. It's just out there for... 
That would be a story. (laughs) And so he's out there and he's made a mess out of his life. Now, back in our culture, that'd be like saying, let's go feed the rats down in the sewer. Rats are like, they were disgusting, disease, nasty animals. That's how people felt about pigs. And he's working there with the pigs and he doesn't want to just eat the pigs. He wants the slop the pigs are eating. You know what the slop your pig, the pigs eat? You know that stuff you scrape off all of your plates today that goes in the garbage and goes in the compost heap and it kind of smells and nasty, goes in a big barrel. That's what they would have fed to the pigs. And he's so desperate. He wants the world's slop. Some of us have been, and maybe, I don't know, are at places today where you live the life for a while and now you've been, you look at the slop the world has to offer and go, well, it's not great, but maybe it's how I survive. And you'll eat that slop stuff when you had a father at home who was giving you everything and you ran away from that and he's out there wanting the pig slop. And it tells us here at the end of verse 16, mark this up in your Bible, but no one gave him anything. Not his friends that had left him, not the people he partied with, not the people, the athletes he piled around with, not all that stuff. They all abandoned. No one gave him anything. And in this story, what you have to understand here is that an earthly father would have limited knowledge of his son who ran away. He wouldn't know where he is and he would have some resources, but not limitless resources to go find him. In this story, the picture of, of the father here is symbolic of God, our father. God, our father knows everything about you. And he has unlimited resources to help you. And when it says no one gave him anything, that means not even dad who knows right where he is and knows the desperate times he is. Because sometimes, guys, our God is not going to answer your prayers to just rescue you out of a mess until you're done. Because of all it's going to do is you're going to keep going back. He'll give you a little boost and get you out of the mess and go back to it. Proverbs has a great verse. It's like a dog goes back to his vomit. So a fool repeats their folly. This is the, some of you guys, that's been my life for a while. I just keep going back to the same dumb, stupid things that got me in a mess in the first place. And he doesn't send anything to him. And it says in verse 17, when he finally, mark that, finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants, this is the cowboys out in the Yellowstone bunkhouse out there. Even the hired servants, the cowboys have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, and he works up his speech. He probably writes it down. Father, I've, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please just take me on as a hired hand. Just take me on as a servant there. He came to his senses finally. He didn't come to his senses overnight because some of us have been in some places perhaps where it's time for you to finally come to your senses. You've been out there wandering away from home for a bit. It's time to go. It's time to come back home and to finally come to your senses because sometimes it just takes time and pig slop and life has to get really bad for you finally come to your senses. There's a, a young lady and one of our young adults here. Um, we have a bunch of young adults sitting over here today because we want our guy, young adults getting baptized today at the end of the service. It's going to be awesome. And she was telling me, she said, you know, I'm raised in a good home and kind of raised in some faith and all that kind of stuff. And then decided, you know, and I have her permission to share this. Her name's Rosie, so don't, I'm, I'm not embarrassing her. She has, gave me full endorsement to share this. Um, 
went out and lived her own life for a bit, just took off across the country. And man, she had fun. It was wild and exciting, throwing off all the restraints, throwing off all the traditional religious stuff, throwing off all that stuff. And she had a blast for a while. It was fun and it was exciting and mesmerizing. And then it started to not be so good. And then life got awful and terrifying and horrifying. And she said she had a moment where she was just thinking about some stuff and God spoke into her heart and asked her this question. He said, hey, are you done? Are you done? Maybe that's the question for some of us today. Because you may not be amongst, I'm just inclined to say this today, for right here, right now, for some reason. Some of us think, well, my life's not all jacked up like the prodigal son. Yeah, you drive nice cars and have beautiful homes and countertops and swimming pools and all the crazy stuff, and you're living with the pigs. You're separated from God and your life's a mess. And guys, I know this because I sit with too many of you in my office and go, you're just, you look all beautiful and amazing on the outside. Everything looks fantastic. It's a disaster. And he comes to his senses. And so she came to a point point of just saying, yes, I'm done. And then just, she told that story in our small group. And then a couple months ago, she texted me. It's on your note sheet today in the back of your program. You might want to, um, take a look at this. I actually printed it for you so you could have it and maybe cut it out or take a screenshot of it and, and take it to keep meditating on it, thinking on it. This great quote she came across, it says this, when God has a call on your life, no matter how hard you try to avoid it and run away from it, God always has a way of bringing you back. Sometimes God will allow you to lose your job, to lose your friends, to lose your family, to lose the very things you love the most to reorder your steps back to your purpose. When you're called by God, he will frustrate you out of distractions, the wrong friendships, the wrong places, the wrong relationships, and from your own selfish desires. God will not sit and allow you to miss what he's called you to do. Everything that's holding you back, everything that's an idol in your life, everything that you've made Lord of your life will have to let you go. Destiny is calling you. God will chase you down until you submit. And the father chases him down by leaving him alone to say, I, if I go out there and just rescue him, right, he's gonna, he has to come back on his own terms. But he says, I want to go back home. And he rehearses the speech. I've sinned. I'm not worthy. And he's thinking, can I work this sin off? Because, you know, he would have taken, this is a father who's wealthy, maybe a million dollars or so of his inheritance and just taken off and squandered it in living. And he goes, How, can I... Maybe I can work this debt off. Maybe I can pay this off. Maybe I can earn my way back into the family or maybe at least earn my way back into the bunkhouse to have a place to sleep and food to eat. And so we know the end of the story because we've just read it today. Some of us have heard this story over and over again because we've gone to church our whole life and we've heard the prodigal son, so we know the narrative on this. But again, climb inside the story today because everybody in that story, as this son is going to go, Jamie Dutton's going to go back home and see dad, John, his dad, his father, and make this speech. And everybody's going to wonder, what's his dad going to do to him? What's going to happen to him? So he returned home, verse 20, 
to his father. And while he was still, mark this in your Bible, a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. This is the this suit that costs four or $5,000, not just some clothes and jeans because he's, again, he's in pig slop, pig dung smelling, body odor on the road. He hasn't showered or bathed in forever. He's a mess. He says, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. Sorry, vegans and vegetarians, we're having steaks today. We must celebrate with the feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. He hears the dad coming out. John Dutton, use your imagination. <laughs> Opens the door to the big house. Sitting with a cup of coffee, looking out. Everywhere he looks, he owns. It's his and he thinks through, okay, we're in the season right now where the calves and they have to move the horses and the different calves and ox and the different pieces from this pasture up to that pasture. And he knows there's some trouble in the bunkhouse out there. I wonder how we're going to get them from that pasture over to that. And way off in the distance, there's his son. And parents, you know this, right? It won't matter how old your kids get, you're always going to know it's your son. As jacked up as he is and as messed up as he is, he's, and he sees his son. While his son has not seen him yet. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because long before you were aware of God, God was aware of you. Well, you were still a long way off wondering, can I, I don't think I can do this. I think this is, I don't know what I'm doing here. Well, still a long way off. Your father sees you. He sees you. And then it tells us that he ran to him. Now we hear that today in the culture and go, well, of course you'd run to your son. That's because we've romanticized this story too much. Back in that culture, men like John Dutton, men who had that kind of wealth, never run anywhere. You know what they do? They pay people to run for them. They do that. And back in that culture, for you to run was not just a matter of the exercise and out of breath. Back in that culture, men didn't wear pants. Men wore robes. So you know what a man have to do? What a man would have to do to run? Expose himself. Not literally, but he had to pick up his robes and run with his bare legs out to his son. And everybody on the ranch and everybody in the city we hear about this going, what is he doing? Telling us that this father bears his legs and humiliates himself to go run for his son. Symbolizing the time that our father would not just bear his legs, he'd bear his whole body naked on a cross and be crucified for your sins and the sins of the world. It's all in this story. And the, fa- and the son, and then the son, he, he sees him and he runs down there and he greets him. And it tells us here that he kissed him. We think, okay, he kissed him like, you know, he kissed him. Anybody, we have people with young babies here. We have a few of them here in the house. We love the fact that you guys are multiplying and replenishing the earth. That's awesome. (laughs) But when you have that little, (laughs) 
when you have a little baby, moms and dads, even the most tightly wound, even the most uh, whatever, when you held that baby in your hand the first time, did you just go? You were. Because the words here is not just he embraced. It says he covered his face. Literally, the word here is he covered his face with kisses. He kissed him all over the place. And imagine, remember now, this son's a mess. He smells, probably hasn't brushed his teeth in God knows how long. Kisses him over and over and over again, giving you a picture. If you're a rebel against God and you think I got to work my way back to earn my God's just begrudging respect and just to let me in the house. No, no. When you come back home, he kisses your face all over, no matter where you've been and what you have done and kisses him all over. And then the father, and then the son starts his little speech and he gets about halfway through and the dad's not even listening. He goes, Hey, go get the finest robe and put it on him. Not take him outside and hose him off. Not take him back there and let's send his clothes out and get him, go wash your clothes. And when you get yourself cleaned up, then we can sit down and have a conversation. This is what religion is going to tell you you have to do. Every religion in the world is going to say, clean yourself up. When you come back home, you get your act together, and then maybe you can earn entrance back into the house. The father goes outside the house to meet him, covers his face with kisses, and get the most expensive suit here before he is washed. Before he's done one. Has this son done anything right yet? Done nothing right. This is the unconditional. You don't do anything right to earn your father's love. He... He brings out the finest suit in the house. Back in that, you know, back in that day, it had been a robe. In our day, it had been a five, six, eight, ten thousand dollars suit. The finest, finest clothes in the house, and puts it on him. And it t- tells us today that when you, when you come back home to your father, when you've been a rebel, rebel against God, whether you've been in the pig pen or in the sheep pen, or you've been out there in just the life, and you come back home. You don't stand before God just cleaned up of your own stuff. God says, I put my robes on you. I put my righteousness on you. You stand now covered in me. And the finest things that I have in, 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 in this house is that you're now covered in, in righteousness. The, this is a, uh, what, what the Apostle Paul calls the doctrine of justification. That you're not made right with God because you got your act together. You're made right with God because you were a hot mess and God had his act together the whole time and puts his expensive clothes on you, no matter what a big mess you are. And then he gave him a ring for his finger. And we hear a ring for his finger and go, what, he gave him jewelry? Like, what, what's that all about? See, back in, back, back in that culture, the jewelry for the children was not just a, oh, it's expensive. It was a signet ring. It was the sign that you are full-fledged son in this family. This is what's important about this because some of us think in order to come back home to God, I've made a mess. So when I get my act together, then I can really come all the way into the family. And God says, the day you come back home, you get the finest robes and you're now full-fledged. You're not second-class kid in my family. You come all the way back home, all the way in, fully embraced and fully mine. In this story, it's called the story of, you'll see it there, the, the prodigal or the lost son. The truth is in this story, (laughs) the one who's the most reckless in this story is the father. Because back in that culture, this never happened. When Jesus told that story that day, they would have looked at him. There'd been a mumble in the crowd going, what is he freaking? This is a dumb story. Nobody would have done this. Meanwhile, 
back at the ranch, back in the house. Verse 25, the older son was in the fields working. Do you see that? Not out partying. He's obeying his father. He's been a compliant kid. He's, he's working. He's, he's responsible. He's doing what he's supposed to do. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Do you catch the irony of this right now? The younger son was outside of the house. Miles and miles away, the older son, you know where he is right now? Outside the house. Both of them are prodigal sons. Both of them look at their dad going, the first son, I don't want you, you're dead to me. And the, and the uh, older, that was the younger son, the older son is saying, I've... verse 28, he was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, no effing way. No, no way. All these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this, not brother of mine, this, son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He's not going back in over the years. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this story told over and over again, especially like at big harvest crusades and big things where lots of people who are not Christians come to as this idea that Jesus tells this story to persuade Rebel lost people to come home. And that certainly is one of the messages here, but that's not the primary message. Look at, look at verse chapter 15. Look at the first few verses. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. These are the bad people often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees, the older brothers, the good spiritual people, the people who were raised in church, who did all the right things, who never went out and squandered money, who were just, who were just obedient to their father their whole life complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. He tells a story of a lost coin and a lost sheep. And then now here it's the story of the lost son. The primary purpose of this story is persuading even good, decent, faithful people that God wants everyone in his house. God wants everyone in here and that you can't earn it and you don't deserve it. Uh, and, and it's so difficult. What, what Jesus is saying is that... Uh, I want even them in my house, even them. Because we have no idea like tax collectors, prostitutes, the Roman people occupying their country. God says, I want everybody in my house, even them. I wonder today, who's your even them? Who's the, okay, if that kind of person with that kind of prison record or that kind of mess walked in here, hmm. Sometimes too, rebellious people who come back to Christ, look at it and go, well, I don't want those Pharisee people in our house. I don't want those good people. It's like they, they just the silliness that goes on. We want. That's why from the very beginning of how Crosspoint started back in 2004, we said we are all kinds of people. 
all kinds of people. We welcome anyone without condition. That means rich people and poor people, religious or rebellious, straight or gay, weapons-banning kind of people and weapons-defending kind of people, people with Judeo-Christian values, people with more like Las Vegas kind of values, conservatives or liberals, progressive and woke or crazy, whatever out there. God says, everybody's welcome here. And some of you are going, wait a minute. We welcome everyone? Because we think if we welcome everyone, that means we endorse everyone. Can I tell you right now, we don't endorse anybody here but Jesus. I'm telling you right now, you rich people are a mess and so are you poor people. You, re- you rebellious people are a mess and so are you religious people. You're a mess. The, you straight people are a mess. Gay people are a mess. People that are Judeo-Christian values are a mess. And people that have more Las Vegas kind of values are a mess. Conservatives, you're a mess. And progressive liberals, you're a mess. You're all a big, hot, stinking mess. Happy Easter. <laughs> And the only person we endorse here is Jesus. And so, but again, the father goes out and he sees his older son who's really having a hard time with this going, wait, but I've done everything right. And I think the older son wonders, does my father really love me? Because I've been a good kid and I've lived here and been provided for and everything's good. And I have no complaints here, but he goes crazy over the rebellious kid. What about me? He's got to really care about me. And so we he, see in this story how God feels about the prodigal son. The, the younger son kisses him, robes, party, fantastic stuff. And oftentimes how we have understood, especially those of you who've grown up going to church, that the Pharisees and the religious people, that's like... Pfft, that God just has kind of, he's just thinly disguised and not always thinly disguised, just contempt. I'm like, like there's jerks. They're just self-righteous, tightly wound people. And they're just looking down there. And he's kind of disgusted with them. And do you see what happens in here? The son is just so frustrated, so angry at his father, because even those kind of people get in here. Verse 31, his father said to him, look. Next two words. Dear son. Climb us on the story up here for a second. You're one of the good people. You've grown up going to church your whole life and you've never gone off. You, you, you've been a good, not perfect, but a very good, decent person. And all these jacked up people are coming in, making a mess out of the family, making a mess out of the church. And you're, I, I don't know what this means. And you're sitting out there. And Jesus looks right out in the crowd and says, look, your son, He doesn't hate religious people. He's not disgusted with you. You need to know this today, that your father in heaven has his just passionate love for you who've done everything pretty much right your whole life as he does to the rebellious, jacked up people who've made a mess out of everything. And I never got that because I grew up going to church. And when we went to big conferences and stuff and have speakers came in, you know what they did? It was the story of the person uh, sold crystal meth when he was seven years old, murdered people in middle school, had to go to juvenile hall, made a mess out of his life. But in prison, God saved him. Yeah. And you hear that thing. Oh yeah. Amazing. And you're sitting there going, so I'm such a loser. I made up stuff about myself to people. (laughs) 
And you see what's happening here. The father is standing at this door today to rebellious and religious people. And maybe even like, maybe you're the middle child. You're not rebellious or religious. You're what? Rebeligious. <laughs> Something like that. Maybe not all the way under the extreme of that. Maybe somewhere here in the middle. And he's telling us all, I want you to come back home. Because all of us are outside the home. The rebellious people went outside the home and messed their lives all up and whatever. And God loved them. They came back. Us, tightly wound, firstborn who did everything right. Jesus is pleading with us. You're so close. Don't miss the invitation to come back into your father's house and have a relationship with your father. It's not a transactional thing where he's, he's not your boss. He's your father here in this. Because here's the crazy irony of this. Both sons... Before I get to that point, just had another thought. For some of us, we have been rebellious and made a mess out of things. And we come back home. I want you to to join us next week for our next series we're starting. It's called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. And the first one is where God tells a pastor to go down to the red light district and marry a hooker. Yeah. It's in the Bible. There's some NC-17 stuff in that Bible of yours. You should read it sometime. (laughs) And it says, and she's going to be unfaithful to you. You'll bring her into your house and she'll go back there and go back there and go back there. And every time God welcomes, God welcomes, God welcomes back in. This is the message of Easter because the, here's what happens. The older son who's the product, who's one of the prodigal sons in the story, outside the home, thinks this. He says this, my actions and my faithfulness has made me your child. I have earned this. I deserve this. And some of you are going, that's not me. Shut up. It is you. Because I know that was me for probably 25, 30 years of my life when I would look and like, okay, I'm a pretty good person. But the, re- the rebellious kid is just as religious because you know what he says? He says, my actions and my faithfulness will make me your child. If I can get myself cleaned up enough, if I can come back home, I'll, I'll be a hired servant and work out in the yard for a bit. Eventually, I can work my way back up through and earn my way back into, the, into your house. They both think it's because of what they have done and what they will do that will earn their way back home. And your father in heaven says today, you fool, there is nothing you can do You're not my child because of your actions. You're the child because of my actions. 2,000 years ago, God did the most crazy, radical thing. No other religion, spirituality in the world has anything close to this. They're all going to tell you, work your way in, meditate enough, try hard enough, just be good enough, and hope that somehow you can find that magic eternity place, whatever. The Father says you can't be good enough. Rebellious or religious are both offensive to God and you're outside the home. And 2000 years ago, instead of saying, Hey, get your act together. Jesus comes down here. and doesn't yell at us, get our act together. He bears his body on a cross. And in that moment on the cross where he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes on the sin of the world and the penalty and the punishment for your sin is poured out on to him. And he just says to you, I paid for that. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to not just break the penalty for your sin, but now to actually break the power of your rebellion 
and your religion so that your life is changed from the inside out. That's a future story for a future day. But the good news of Easter is he says to all of us today, get in here. Get back home. The band's going to come up here. Don't, 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 don't tune out yet. We're not quite done with this part yet. I wonder today, where do you find yourself on that spectrum? Maybe you're the rebel one and you're the notorious sinner. You're the ones all jacked up. Or maybe you're more like you're the religious one, pretty good person your whole life and all that kind of thing, maybe. Or maybe somewhere here in the middle. I'm going to take a moment here and we're going to pray and let this prayer be an expression of your heart. We're going to sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus. Uh, Because what I hope happened for a lot of you today is that maybe for the first time, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I really got this, that God's love for me was just as great and passionate and all in as it was for the jacked up people who we celebrate at all the conferences that make all, write all the books, make all the money on their story crazy love that our God has for us. So do me a favor right now. Just close your eyes for a second. The lights are going to go down in the house. Close your eyes, bow your heads. God's spirit is speaking to some of your hearts today and he's telling you it's time. Are you done? Are you done with your rebellion? And are you, are you done with your religion trying to earn your way back into this thing? Both of them are silly. So let this be a prayer of your heart today. Jesus, I recognize that my rebellion and my religion has separated me from my Father in heaven. I'm done. Both things have exhausted me, and I'm done. I'm coming back home today. I believe that what you did on that cross and in the resurrection 2,000 years ago on that first Easter Sunday that somehow in some way that I can't grasp or comprehend that it counts for me today. And I don't get it all yet, but I just say yes to it. If that's you today, and that's been some expression of your heart, would you jot me a note on that connection card that's, that Grant had you fill out a couple minutes ago? And then there, I think there's some of you that need to go back and actually pray with somebody today. Our prayer team is at the back of the house, in the back corner of the room. They'd love to pray with you about this decision that you've made maybe help answer some questions about your faith. Or maybe you came in today on Easter just carrying some stuff that you just need some prayer about. Make your way back there. For those of you that are regular attenders here at Cross Point, uh, most every weekend we have communion available. This weekend here on Easter weekend, we're, we're focused exclusively on the resurrection. So we're not doing communion today in the four corners of the room. And so Jesus, today, we... We lost our way somehow in rebellion or religion. And today we have, we are celebrating because we have come back home or because today, maybe for the first time, we are coming back home to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.